You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a regular old episode, Tim, that we've got here. Uh, a classic, if you would. A classic. Can you be classic if you're at 32 episodes? Uh, I feel like you got to make it a little further um, before you can be considered classic. I, we're getting there, I would hope, but I can't believe 32 already. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a, uh, having come from a, a world of podcasting where I'm about to hit 400 episodes of, of other podcasts I'm on, uh, I, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay 32, but uh, I think that it is a great accomplishment for us here. I mean, it's, it ain't no thing for you, yeah. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. 400 episode veteran i think you've got some classics in there well i was actually um really happy to talk on one of my other podcasts i know we don't really talk about that much here but um i go into depth on our whole like live recording setup that we did on an episode of show me your mic over at goodstuff.fm so if you're interested kind of in like the side project side of me and um looking at sort of how we logistically and technically put together the live show of this podcast, you can go listen to that. But we're here. We're on Drinking Socially, Tim. We're talking about Untapped today, and we're talking about a style I don't have much of. We've got the German-style Pilsner. Yes, we do. This is a nice, crisp, refreshing, very classic style, if you want to throw that in there. Um, And it's something that I... I fully enjoy, but don't take advantage of, especially in the days of the hazy IPA and all of that stuff. And always looking for something bitter or hoppy. You know, we, we talked a little bit, I think about how lighter beers really started making a comeback at a JBF this year with a lot of loggers and just, obviously there is the standard, everybody's going to line up to get the huge barrel age collaboration, et cetera, et cetera. But there was a huge increase in, um, some of the lower ABV, crisper, traditional styles that um, you could really session um, session with, and so um, we were thinking about it and just trying to find something a little different. And um, you, you know, you mentioned that you picked up a German style pilsner, so that sounded really good. Yeah, well, and we've talked to uh, the folks at Victory over over there about their kind of lower ABV sessionable beers. We've also uh, featured badges before for the All Day IPA, which is kind of, you know, one of those quintessential lawnmower sessionable beers. Um, let's crack these open and, and see what we've got. Sounds good. I definitely need to because this crawler that I picked up, uh, it I could see it literally fizzing out the edge of the cap. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh yeah! Whoa, that was good. <laughs> I I picked up a crawler. Um, I didn't have. I was going through trying to find something for today's show and ran into the issue of going through all my boxes, other than giant seven fifty milliliter bottles of crazy high ABV cellared stuff. All I have are IPAs. So yeah, I've got I've got sixteen ounce cans uh, of IPA up the wazoo here at home and i just got a new refrigerator as well so i've got all these beers chilling now which is good they're no longer just kind of in the 60 degree cellar 55 60 degree cellar they're uh you know chilling now thank thank goodness because that hop half-life man that'll that'll get you (laughs) um but i did not get this one 
from any special uh, can release. I didn't get this one from any any like go to your local brewery and, and pick this up. I went to the grocery store, grabbed this beer on clearance. This was 50 percent off for a four pack of Sierra Nevada's Nooner Pilsner. This is a uh, German style Pilsner, obviously coming in at 5.2 percent ABV, 38 IBUs. And this comes in at less than a dollar a can. I couldn't pass this up. They're like clearing out all the summer beer, it seems like. It seems like they are. Well, and I was concerned when I picked up the six pack of like, okay, is this like, is this going to be a year old beer? Is this two year old beer? How long has this really been here? But this was actually packaged on August 14th, 2018. So not that long ago, it's I've got older beers that have hops in them probably in the fridge right now. So I am very, very glad I picked up this Pilsner. Um, This is got to be one of the best looking cans that Sierra Nevada makes. The silver with the yellow logo and kind of the, you know, taking a look at what seems to be some sort of facsimile of like a Crater Lake or or something, some kind of Northern California slash Oregon uh, Vista here. It's a beautiful can and the beer is... It's it's good. You know, it's it's got like that that quintessential crisp, hoppy, uh, sessionable taste to it that doesn't overwhelm you one way over another, um, but goes great with barbecue or by itself or just with lunch. Uh, so the the Nooner Pilsner is very, very good. And I'm, I'm glad I got a couple six packs of this. Yeah. What do you have? I wouldn't, I would say definitely don't let the, the clearance price fool you on that one. Cause it's probably sounds like somebody's just trying to clear their stock out. Cause a Nooner Pilsner. And I mean, mostly anything from Sierra Nevada, in my opinion is really solid. I had um, their torpedo uh, last mm. night uh, while waiting uh, for a show. Um, and, it was really good. And I've had the Nooner Pilsner and it's just nice and crisp and refreshing and it's perfect for what it is. You know, something something that you can have around noon and keep carrying you through the day. Well, when you see clearance, you're thinking like, oh, this has got to be like garbage, right? There's <laughs> there's no way that uh, this beer is going to be any good or maybe it's on an end cap and it just hasn't been refrigerated for eight weeks or something. But this was in the cold section priced as marked and i'm just blown away this is really good (laughs) so uh for me today in my uh in my haste to try and find something for today's show that wasn't an ipa i decided just to um head downstairs below our office here in downtown la and run by uh, carl strauss um they had a german pilsner on tap which is actually called pilsnar that's a p-i-l-s-g-n-a-r like gnarly um and it's coming in at 4.8 percent a 27 IBU, although they did write 5% on the crawler. So questionable <laughs> where the percentage is lying, but that's close enough, uh, <laughs> close enough in there. Um, and it is a German style Pilsner with a subtle toast and malt flavors and a dry finish. Um, I couldn't find too many details on exactly what hop stuff's going in there, but this is part of their small batch series. Um, I'm not sure if it is actually brewed here in LA, um, but uh, they were basically finishing off the last of the keg when I picked up my crawler. So they ended up uh, giving me a crawler and then just finishing off what was left in the keg in a second crawler, which was about half. So I thank you so much for that. If anybody from the Carl Strauss here is listening, um, but it was pretty nice to have Kyle be like, Hey, we should have a German style Pilsner. I'm like, well, how about that? There's one right downstairs. 
Yeah. Thank, thankfully, Carl Strauss has got a lot of different uh, types of beers on tap there. They've got like, you know, Mexican style lagers. They've got all sorts. of. It's not just, you know, brewed IPAs and hazy IPAs at the Wazoo. It's, I, I've said Wazoo twice now, but they've got a lot of Wazoo going on there. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad that uh, that we're kind of breaking the trend of of the 16 ounce hazy IPAs or like the, you know, big old bombers. Um this is good. Actually, I should say, too, this beer named Pilsner seems very appropriate for a German-style Pilsner because the use of the term Pils is more common in Germany than Pilsner to uh, differentiate it from Czech style or some may say to show respect, uh, according to this VinePair.com article I found. That is true. We've, we've talked about Pilsner as a whole in the past, and there are obviously a, a variety of different um you know, subsets within the Pilsner. Um, what does that article say about that? Well, they say this style was adopted from the Czech style in the 1870s to better suit Germany's mineral water and domestic hops. Obviously, domestic hops in Germany are huge. I was just reading about um, Boston style lager or Boston lager, I guess, and how they get a whole bunch of their hop character from German hops. Um, it, they say it's lighter in body and color than Czech Pilsners and tends to be drier and crisper. The bitterness is more lingering and the carbonation is higher. German Pilsners pour with a pure white head and have a moderate and pronounced noble European hop aroma and flavor that come from late hopping during the brewing process. So they get real, real nitty gritty in into like the differences between uh, Czech or Bohemian Pilsners, which I think we've talked about before. The uh, American Pilsner or American Lager. Um, and then here, like we're talking about the German Pilsner or Pils. That's awesome. We'll definitely be sure to include that link in the show notes so you can go and um, read a bit more about the different styles. So what uh, what's going on with yours in the tasting department? It's real hop forward. Um, you get kind of the, you know, lager yeast uh, flavor obviously going on, but it is definitely a hop forward, kind of effervescent. It's got a lot of carbonation, kind of like as was described in the Vine Pear article, uh, where you are just sort of inundated with bubbles, at, at least straight out of the can. I'm curious to know if this would kind of change the taste if I poured this out into a glass or a, a solo cup or whatever. You know, I want to keep the glassware appropriate for, for you know, the vibe that it's trying to give off. Um but otherwise, it's it's really nice and crisp. Unfortunately, today is one of those kind of overcast, uh, colder, you know, clouds rolling in kind of day here at the uh, earthquake capital of the world. And <laughs> unfortunately, uh, this Nooner Pilsner is not kind of giving me those sunny vibes I was looking for. But it is a really great beer and a great style that I don't see enough of. Um, it's not labeled as a German Pilsner on the packaging, but the flavors that it imparts are definitely uh, German-inspired, if anything. Yeah, that's true. The um, The weather down here um, is quite overcast, which is a nice change. We've actually got some cold weather coming in for for once after all of the heat we've been experiencing. And admittedly, you know, this is kind of the time when you would want something a little warmer, a little, a little heavier, something darker, just to kind of warm the body up. This and I'm sitting in an air conditioned office drinking this, not out, you know, <laughs> next to the lake or you know, on a in a beer garden under an umbrella or anything like that. Um, but that said, um, 
even besides that, you could still appreciate the fact that uh, this is very crisp. Um, I get that uh, the carbonation is good, um, and the the hops they they come out on this one. Um, it's it's hoppy, but not in a like overly bitter sort of way. The flavor is really, I think, a lot of the the lager yeast mellowed out by the hops that they use in here to give a mm. really crisp and clean finish. Um, it doesn't leave anything lingering. It's very refreshing, and this is something that I would for sure want to have on a hot day somewhere. Yeah, I think we need to, uh, in the next couple of episodes that we've got going here, uh, maybe pumpkin beers are one that we should hit up, and then something a little heavier. Um, I know I've got like a KBS in my cellar. I've got a, I've got a couple others maybe that we can we can crack into that uh, would be more appropriate for for where the United States is seasonally headed. I know this is probably great for for folks on the uh, southern hemisphere who are like, oh, hey, no, it's coming up on spring. I'd, I'd love that. I, I know but, you're still trying to you're still trying to change my mind on pumpkin beer. So we'll have to we'll have to figure something out there. Let us know what your favorite German-style Pilsner is. We'd love to hear and uh, get some ideas on what else we should try once the, the weather warms up. Let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. All right, let's take a look at some of these sponsored badges that we've recently added to Untapped. This first one, Tim, that you've got here, I just earned this one, and it was very, very good. All right, I'll I'll have to once we once we get through it. Let me know which one you use to unlock it because I'm curious about all of these. The first badge we have up here is coming to us from Uinta Brewing. It is new to Nosh. Whether you're new to Uinta's uh, Hop Nosh family of IPAs or returning to a favorite variety for another round, check into any one Hop Nosh flavor, which includes the original Hop Nosh IPA, Tangerine Hop Nosh, or Grapefruit Hop Nosh between September 26th and October 26th. And you will unlock the new Tunash badge. Each check-in will also uh, be eligible for a weekly drawing to receive gear from the brewery, including a Hopnosh cooler picnic basket. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it probably is a, akin to the one that's actually printed on the label, which is neat. Oh, nice. The original flagship Hopnosh IPA boasts an assertive bitterness and vibrant floral hop aromatics balanced with a hefty dose of caramel malts, while Tangerine Hopnosh features an aromatic menagerie of tropical hops and juicy tangerine flavor. Mmm, I love me some tangerines. Yep. Yeah, I know you like stones, too. (laughs) Rounding out the group, uh, Grapefruit Hopnosh is a tangy, juicy, and slightly sweet uh, version featuring a bright burst of fresh-squeezed white grapefruit oh that sounds good uh so i earned this one by checking into the regular you know uh, classic we've said that a couple times this episode hop nosh ipa the reason for this not only was because this was what was available at uh, lucky penny down in santa barbara a very 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 good pizza place yes i've been there a few times that is fantastic oh my yeah su- super cool uh, they have pennies kind of all along the outside of their venue, which is really neat. Um, that place gets so crowded. Yeah, but they actually had uh, bottles of the Hop Nosh IPA available. And the reason I checked into this one was because I can't have a unique beer right now until I get to my 2500. So oh. uh, I have had Hop Nosh before, but I was really glad to earn this badge with with ye olde regular Hop Nosh. 
And I, I have had the original as well. Um, I not recently, so I haven't gotten any badges, but um, I remember it being pretty solid. So that's great. The next badge we have up here is from Dogfish Head. It is eat, drink, and be scary. Obviously, it is October and Halloween's just around the corner. Uh, this October, our friends at Dogfish Head are all about the treats, offering you the chance to unlock a brand new badge. This year's batch of their pumpkin ale, excuse me, pumpkin ale, let's get it right, is hitting shelves just in time for your fall celebrations. It features smooth hints of pumpkin, brown sugar, and allspice, and it's the perfect complement to the cooler weather, just like we were talking about. So maybe we need this one for the next round. Yeah, they say we brew our pumpkin ale with pumpkin meat, brown sugar, and spices. As the season cools, this is the perfect beer to warm up with. Mm. Yummy. If you're in the mood for something a little bolder or, you know, in the Southern Hemisphere where it's a little warmer, there's also the Flesh and Blood IPA. It is an honest-to-goodness India pale ale brewed with a bevy of real citrus. Uh, to unlock this badge, all you have to do is check into one of either of these, the Flesh and Blood IPA or a pumpkin ale during the month of October. Pumpkin ale sounds like the one that we got to get for uh, for our pumpkin beer, potentially. Definitely. And I, I see it around, so I think we should both be able to find it nearby. Yep. Yep. Sounds good. The last badge we have here is Breakfast for Dinner from Founders Brewing Company. Now, before we get into this, how do you feel about Breakfast for Dinner? Always and forever. It is <laughs> so, so good. I'm 100% behind Brenner. When you're craving a cup of joe in the evening, but you don't want to be wired all night, well, reach for Founders Breakfast Stout. Just like having breakfast for dinner, this delicious stout is brewed with two types of coffee, bitter and imported chocolates, and a massive amount of flaked oats. Besides, who doesn't love breakfast for dinner? We've established that neither of us are against it, so this is perfect. You can unlock the breakfast for dinner badge by checking into one breakfast out from Founders Brewing during the month of October. Now, you can always see our latest sponsored badges on our blog over at blog.untapped.com, or you can also head over to the new section of the notifications tab in the Untapped app. That is the tab on the bottom far right. And then you'll want to go up and choose the news section once you get over there and you will see all of these and you can read in more detail and see everything else that we have put out. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we've found this week. The first article we have here for you is from bustle.com. I pulled this one specifically for you, Kyle, because I know how much you love Japanese food as well as weird beer flavors. So this first one here is wasabi beer exists, and people say it legit tastes like wasabi. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. Is it? Uh, I want to I want to learn more. Um, I'll preface this by saying I've had a wasabi beer before, and I think I've talked about it on the show. 
I'll describe it after you've described yours and see if there's any similarities. The article's actually, it's talking a bit about um, interesting things. It goes to talk a little bit more about where the spear, it's being sold on some random website um, online. But uh, getting into it, by now you're no stranger to unique beers. Head to your local bar and you'll find everything from pumpkin beers, which we're talking about, to floral beers, to chocolate stouts. Um, But while you may consider yourself adventurous in the beer department, it turns out there's at least one variation you probably have yet to test yourself on. And it might be the most daring one yet, specifically the wasabi beer being sold on Firebox, which is actual literal beer infused with wasabi flavors. Now, Firebox, it looks like some sort of e-commerce website. I'm not 100% sure what it is, so I cannot uh, promote or condone what's going on there. But per the description on their website, it says, Ah, wasabi, Japanese horseradish, tickler of taste buds. A proud member of the word I can't pronounce, Brassicacea plant family, some sort of of plant, yeah, Brassicacea. Uh, that sounds better. There we go. Uh, and now your new favorite beer flavor. Goodbye, hops. Your yeast maltiness has nothing on this spicy number. Say hello to wasabi beer. The Magnificent Wizards at Niigata Beer have combined Japanese favorite condiment with your favorite booze. Uh, It says this variation is only available in the UK, but fear not. It appears that it's not the only kind of wasabi beer on the market, as you've made very clear so far. And there are other options in the US as well. Um, But does it deliver wasabi taste? I'm not sure because I haven't had it. But one reviewer on Beer Advocates writes that it uh, taste is very light malt with unmistakable wasabi notes. It's not really hot or spicy, but it's definitely wasabi. I bought this as a novelty beer, but I I actually like the unusual flavor. Not something I'd want to drink every day, but yeah, I'd actually buy and drink this again. And I feel like if somebody says they're going to buy and drink it again, that's a pretty solid review. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think there is a misconception here, at least in the U.S. I don't know if this extends to the U.K., But when you get sushi or you have uh, quote unquote Japanese food and you get wasabi with it, you're expecting this kind of powdery, um, overwhelming, strong horseradish like flavor from that to be kind of this sinus clearing uh, nasal, you know, just kind of overwhelming, overpowering flavor. Uh, But that dissipates very quickly. Um, with your food. And I think that's a, a poor uh, facsimile of what an actual wasabi plant tastes like. There is actually a book that I highly recommend called uh, Super Sushi Ramen Express, One Family's Journey Through the Belly of Japan oh my by gosh. Michael Booth. That's amazing. That is a look at actually... Uh, going to um, soy sauce brewing facilities and wasabi tasting facilities and actual, you know, wasabi farms and things like that to describe the flavor of what a true, you know, ground on um, one of those plate wasabi flavors is supposed to taste like. Um, So I highly recommend that book. It's on Audible and I believe Michael Booth does read it. So it's a good good read because I, I listened to it, but um, highly recommended. I am kind of off put.
input on the idea that there would be a beer that tastes like horseradish, I guess, a little bit. Um, I would be more in favor of the vegetal slash kind of um, uh, more legitimate wasabi flavors, I guess, if if you would, of uh, true Japanese wasabi. That sounds better to me than than what um, Americans would, would consider wasabi. But I'll describe uh, briefly the Tori Kumi Dank Tank from Sweetwater Brewing Company's uh, Blonde Ale that is supposedly brewed with wasabi. Um, I said, smells sweet and gingery, but it's surprisingly bitter for a blonde. You can taste the oat smoothness. Definitely a beer you drink with sushi. So that beer in particular, I think, paired very well with sushi. Uh, The second time I had it, I got two cans from Tavor. I made a Japanese curry, and it went pretty well. It really mellowed out um, the kind of overwhelming horseradish slash wasabi flavor that was in there and i think the the characteristics of the blonde ale really helped to to smooth that out but this one that is described in the article sounds really good to me i've seen pictures of this before so over on firebox um it's got kind of like this really uh cool looking green uh with hearts in the backdrop with a mermaid on the front uh look with a really small bottle um but I, 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 I really want to try this. It says as spicy as the real thing. I, I do not have as much experience with wasabi. Um, I only have it usually with sushi. Um, so I can't really speak too much. But it does sound very interesting um, to have in a beer form. So there's that. But your, I would take your opinion um, highly with your experience with japanese food overall uh, i'll say that this beer on untapped is rated 2.52 uh globally with uh, about 437 total check-ins um and it seems to be polarizing some folks are rating it four some folks are rating it two um leaning a little further towards the like unique woodsy mushroom flavor uh, but not not the wasabi kick that people are promised on the label, uh, according to Mike B here on Untapped. Interesting. Okay, well, that's good to know. The next article we have up here actually comes from golf.com. The beer cup carriers at the Ryder Cup are an absolute stroke of genius. The article says, This will sound ridiculous. After spending nearly a week in Paris suburbs, during which I've bunked in a 15th century house with a balcony in my bedroom that looks out upon the French countryside, gorged myself on cheese and wine, and attended the greatest event in golf, perhaps the coolest thing I've seen all week, is a porta goblets beer cup carrier. Hmm. This is going to be one of those articles that you're going to need to go and look at the picture. We can try and describe it here, and I think we'll do a pretty good job, but definitely go and see it. I think you just opened the link. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I see it now. Yeah. The the contraption first caught my eye on day one of the Ryder Cup as I was strolling through the West Village hospitality area by the 17th hole. Uh, there coming toward me under the glorious blue skies was a satisfied looking fan toting a quartet of cold beers dangling from a disposable suds suitcase. Two handles, four beers, one ingenious idea. Now, basically, imagine it's like if you took one of those flight paddles, you have the holes, you put the cups in, and you yep. put two handles off of the side and all out of cardboard. It, it's like a little foldable 
carrier where you just slip the four the four um, plastic beer cups in. Yeah, and you just carry it around. It's like part fast food um, cup holder and part, uh, like you said, sort of like taster rack at a brewery. I think this is wonderful. This needs to be, and and I know they don't really do this at baseball games or probably football games, but when, they'll let you get like one beer or two. They'll need IDs for both people usually to be able to buy these. But four beers at once, you get them for your whole row of the the folks that you went with. And you can carry this straight to your seat. You're not trying to fit the like filled to the top beers into one of those biodegradable uh, cardboard containers where the bottom is way too small and it's not going to fit in. This looks like a wonderful, wonderful invention. They say brilliant and on here. The way that you're carrying it, too, um, as opposed to the kind of four up trays where you slide them in, slide the bottom into the tray and it just sits up tall. I feel like with those, the center of gravity is off and it's much more difficult and more likely that you're going to spill. Yep. But with these, the way that they slide in and the top of the glass sits at the carrying level, I feel like you're less likely to have spillage. Well, this is how you would carry them if you were just a real life human being grabbing the can or, or grabbing the um, cup here. Exactly. I do like that the article ends by saying uh, France has brought so much good to the world. Voltaire, hot air balloons, pasteurization, etch-a-sketch. But this device may trump them all. Cheers <laughs> to you, beer cup carrier. All right. Uh, yeah. So please do go over to Strange website, golf.com uh, to see an image of this. Um, I'm impressed. Nice work, Heineken. <laughs> I wonder if... Heineken had anything to do with the development of this or it's just because they're the sponsor and so they got printed on the carrier. I would I would love to know. That sounds like a story that needs to be told in a uh, long form podcast edited down and uh, produced very, very well here on Untapped. <laughs> an investigative an investigative <laughs> uh, journalism piece. That's right. I'm Kyle Roderick writing for golf.com. Oh, boy. Oh, keeping uh, keeping the theme going here. The next article we have here is from the L.A. Times, and it says France has finally discovered craft beer. There's even one called La Guillotine. You say guillotine or guillotine? Uh, guillotine. Okay. Even though it's a French word. Well, I could be wrong. Is it guillotine? My pronunciations are terrible. Uh, according to Death Grips, it's it's guillotine, but that's a that's a whole other can of worms that I probably shouldn't open up here. Well, you know how we are with pronunciations. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right. And what's the German pronunciation of guillotine? <laughs> oh, boy. Now we're getting cuckoo. I'm speaking of having trouble pronouncing things. Uh, this article talks about Nicholas uh, Nugared. Uh, he realized a lifelong dream when he opened his wine shop. Cave Inoteca 31 in the southwest French er, in a in a southwest French city. Um, it was a leap into the profound historical, economic, and cultural appreciation of wine that's so closely associated with France. I mean, you think France wine is like literally the first thing you think of. Well, wine and cheese, and I guess the Eiffel Tower, but still, cheese. yeah, uh, or croissants or coffee. Okay, there are many things. Anyway, croissants, croissant et café. Uh, so five years later, he basically seems as surprised as anyone when he gazes at the wall of his shop that is now lined with shelves of beer. After initially deciding it might be wise to offer a few token brews, he now sells 120 varieties. He says, it's a real beer boom. 
uh, beer has found its place at the table in France again. And it's really hard to overstate how dramatically the market for beer has changed in this wine-soaked country. After declining for 36 consecutive years, the amount of beer consumed in France has grown about 3% annually each of the last four years, according to the Brewers Association of France. Well, and we had talked about, um, I believe, Russia sort of falling into that same, maybe maybe Germany, uh, probably not Germany, but Russia, that sort of, you know, Eastern uh, European area, all becoming very beer centric and no longer wine or hard alcohol centric. Yeah, it's very interesting to see that how this, uh, you know, what we would what we would consider to be the craft beer boom that is has been happening for so long here, finally starting to happen in other countries around the world. Um, across the country, American style brew pubs are sprouting up. Uh, department stores are selling DIY homebrew kits. Restaurants and chefs are incorporating more beers into their menus. And on the cafes dotting sidewalks and plazas, it's no longer uncommon to see the tabletop full of golden-hued pint glasses offering refreshing competition to a chilled summer rosé. And perhaps the capstone of this cultural revival came this summer when two of France's dictionaries announced that they would add the synonyms beerology and zithology, which is basically the study or expertise in beer. The demand and interest is growing, said Elizabeth Pierre, a zithologue who travels the country organizing beer tastings, workshops on how to appreciate beer, and trainings for those who would like to be beer logues. There's a phenomenon in how attitudes toward beer have improved, uh, she says. No one will mistake France, the world's second largest consumer of wine, for its beer-guzzling neighbors in Belgium, Britain, or Germany, which respectively each year drink 18 gallons, 17.7 gallons and 27 gallons per capita, according to the Brewers Association of Europe. The French downed a mere 8.5 gallons per person in 2017. Still, that's up a half gallon from the four years ago. And it means that beer is steadily closing the gap with wine consumption, which has fallen from 26.5 gallons per person. Oh my God, I can't read these. In 1975 to 12 gallons in 2016. Wow. 27.5 27.5 gallons of wine per person. <laughs> well, the, the thing the thing with um, beers and depending on what they're they're brewing, I don't know what what style of beer is hot, whether it's, you know, lagers, um, pilsners like we're having today or if it's, you know, saisons and things that are um, even wine inspired. I know that uh, modern times here in California is brewing a rosé beer, which is kind of cool, kind of bridging the gap between wine and beer. And I don't know if that is the case in France on whether, uh, you know, the wine like beers are the ones that are pulling folks over into craft beer. But you have to kind of take a different mental tact on when you're going to be consuming these things, unless they are something that is intended to be cellared, right? Anything that is going to be hop forward, um, like an IPA or a pale ale or a Pilsner like we're drinking today is going to be something that you want to try fresh. You don't want to, you know, sit on a 1986 uh, uh, Sierra Nevada Pilsner. That's that's just that's just something you don't want to drink anymore. That's a, that's, you know, sh- shelf uh, decoration. Um, so I, I'm curious to know how this changes what France thinks about beer and and whether this creates an even greater divide between the two beverages or if they kind of find like a happy medium between the two where you've got beers that are kind of wine like or you've got wines that are kind of beer like. That's a good question. I'll I'll actually be able to report on this for you 
uh, in about a week and a half, I am heading to France. So I'll be spending uh, spending uh, some time in Paris so I can travel around and uh, follow up on this story. Boy, so you won't be recording with me. I guess you'll just be Leon around in France. <laughs> yes. Our next article comes from Brewbound.com, and this one's pretty timely for our last couple of shows. Three takeaways from the 2018 Great American Beer Festival. Uh, my list is probably one, don't talk, two, sleep, and three, sleep. Yeah, it seemed like your voice was pretty rough by the end of that. Yeah, so I, I apologize to anyone who uh, found it difficult to get through our live GABF content. I'll learn better. I'll, I'll, I'll know better for next year. Um, less, less screaming. Anyway, the article does say, um, last week, and we know it's not last week and now by the time the show comes out, but last week's great American beer festival was the largest in history as a record 62,000 attendees turned out to sample over 4,000 beers from more than 800 breweries that were set up across 584 square feet inside the Denver convention center. And let me tell you, it was huge 584,000 square feet to be exact yeah i got lost several times trying to find my way back to the untapped untapped booth <laughs> it wasn't until i realized that there was a giant gnome riding a deer or something on the uh booth across from us that i was able to finally pinpoint where we were yeah i'm thinking uh if we're talking untapped features for the future here um ar for guiding your way through an event like this seems like the way to go. You type in your, you know, boop, 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 Wait. find the beer, and then you follow the little uh, augmented reality arrows on the floor. It's got to happen. I think also we should get a custom, um, a giant custom inflatable verified venue pin that Balloon. floats, that oh, floats okay. above our booth. <laughs> We're over here, right here. <laughs> Uh, what you were seeing is that craft beer is maturing. Julia Hers, the Brewers Association craft beer program director, told Brewbound, brewers have every opportunity now to interface with groups that bring beer to market in a very large way. Now, here are three of the takeaways that this article does talk about. The first one, pretty interesting, is that a liquor company won the week. Um, at the largest beer festival in America, it was a spirits brand, not a brewery, that emerged as the biggest winner. The Jameson Irish Whiskey label was omnipresent. Everywhere you went in downtown Denver, the company's Jameson Castmakes program was visible. They also set up a nearly 13,000 square foot beer garden on the uh, beer floor, uh, an expensive activation area that featured 17 different barrel-aged beers, live music, games, and snacks. Now, I didn't make it over to the castmate section. Did you? I did. It was incredible. Uh, Jam-packed with people the whole time, uh, pouring, you know, exclusive beers to that section. And they had, a, sans beer, the presence of the brand was like they said omnipresent it was just everywhere and they had this photo booth this like matrix style uh revolving photo booth that would create a looped video kind of a, a gif like thing where you time it you jump and it then rotates around matrix style to kind of show you a, a snapshot in time of you and the group of friends that you're with either jumping or drinking beer or whatever it was a a very um, sticky type of interaction for folks that had uh, had a couple beers and, you know, wanted to, to interact a little bit with the Jameson uh, whiskey brand. Yeah, it sounded like they um, they had billboards, they had um, 
buses, they had Instagram ads, they had sandwich boards outside of bars, all kinds of stuff. And also a VIP rooftop party that featured beer cocktails with the company's signature Irish whiskey. Um, and I did not get to that, obviously, but it just, they were everywhere. So they were obviously like the big player um, that week, making sure that everyone knew what was going on. Yeah. Well, and you've got to think whiskey barrel aged beers and other barrel aged programs are growing dramatically in craft beer and for Jameson to have their name out and be sort of like the the figurehead of that whole movement at the moment is really big for their brand. So I'm I'm curious to see where this goes for the rest of 2018, 2019 and how that evolves for next year. The next takeaway they had was that uh big beer brands struck out. Historically, large domestic beer companies that do not meet the uh, Brewers Association's definition of what it means to be a craft brewer have dominated the American-style lager and light lager competition at uh, GABF. Just two years ago, three non-craft brewers, Paps Brewing, Coors Brewing, and Craft Beer or Craft Brew Alliance uh, swept the American-style lager category. But if you fast-forward to 2018, there's not a single mainstream lager brand that won a GABF medal. The gold medal in the American-style lager category went to uh, Appalachian Mountain Brewery, which has a partnership with the Craft Brew Alliance, but well-known offerings like Paps Blue Ribbon or Coors Banquet were noticeably absent from the winner's list. So that's really awesome. Yeah, it's good to see um, smaller brands and even you know smaller breweries, even out here in California, placing and uh, kind of getting recognized for styles of beer that are, you know, kind of quintessentially Californian. Yeah. And I think it was, um, I'm looking it up really quick. Uh, California breweries received 73 medals this year. So yeah. yay, California. Woo. Uh, but yes, it's, it's, it also goes to show, I think that brew, as we've talked about before in the beginning of the show, and, um, I believe on a couple of past shows that these craft breweries are starting to put a little bit more focus on these styles that have typically been dominated by the major big beer brands. And by doing so, they're kind of starting to take over that category. Yeah, especially it's really great to see, too, in American style lagers, something that is when you think about it, um, you do think of, you know, the the 84 pack of, uh, you know, (laughs) domestic huge beer brand. You don't think, uh, oh, I'm going to go to to Wibby and go get, you know, like a craft driven lager it doesn't it's not typically something that you associate with craft beer so it's good to kind of see that that shifting a little bit the last takeaway they have here is the gabf is no longer just a beer festival uh, the great american beer festival has always uh and will always be a chance for raving craft beer fans to sample rare and experimental beers which we definitely did uh, but this year's event had more of a like trade show vibe to some extent some exhibitors noted um, indeed, the days of brewers using the fest mostly as an opportunity to flex their creative muscles while showcasing innovative brews appears to be waning. Uh, we noticed a number of companies pouring easier drinking and more approachable styles, which we just said, as well as their core offerings. We personally witnessed more founders, owners, and beer company executives working their booths throughout the weekend, and a group like the Canarchy Craft Brewery Collective, which built a large activation area of its own, featured beers from all seven of its brewery partners who were co-located on the show floor. I went over and saw that area. That was pretty awesome. Um, Canarchy has been growing. They recently got three weavers from here in Inglewood, uh, just south by Los, uh, by the uh, Los Angeles International Airport, so... It's it was really cool seeing all them together, but I definitely I I I don't know I 
I felt a little bit of like, it was definitely a mix of people just coming in to try everything. Like you had your average fans, but there were also a lot of people from the breweries talking and like a lot of different brewery and brewery related um, equipment uh, people there kind of all schmoozing and talking. So I can see where they're getting the whole trade show vibe piece. Yeah. Well, I think that's definitely we, our last couple episodes, I think were an example of that. The ability for us to just walk up and talk to the owner, the head brewer, the innovator, the, you know, label of the actual um, brewery or brand or anything like that. And having having a conversation about beer while you're trying their beer, you're not having, you know, behind closed doors meetings. This is a lot of just you're running into folks on the show floor and. That makes me definitely want to come back for next year. And I'm really glad we went. I'm glad that we got to talk to the folks that we got to talk to. Um, And hopefully we've got a little bit more content from GABF coming your way very soon. All right. Show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us or you've got some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to also know what you thought of the last couple episodes, some live content, some uh, live on location shows. Um, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. It's at Untapped Everywhere. Uh, and if you have a moment and feel up to it, please head over to Apple Podcasts and review and rate our show. We would appreciate five stars. And we all, as Kyle just said, always want to hear what you're thinking. So please feel free to leave some feedback. I did see an article that I didn't fully read about how people begging for feedback on their podcasts is kind of silly. So hmm. I'm going to keep that in mind, but I'm still going to ask you because I really, really like it when we get uh, ratings, even if, you know, they're not good, not whatever. I like seeing what people have to say. So please see here at Untapped, we're all about uh, the openness of the community. We want to know what you think about beers. And obviously we want to know what you think about our podcast. So I feel it's disingenuous as a brand for us to say, like, we don't want to know what you think. That's because that's all we're about. Yeah, for sure. I want to know what you think. So just forget what I said and please go do it. (laughs) Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.